scripture today comes from Psalms 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down in a fiery beast. The children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. But they have fallen it and fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of our Lord. David finds himself in quite a predicament in Psalm 57. His predicament is this. He has been anointed king and has run for his life for at least four years. Four years David has sought um, refuge in caves, in other hiding places, as the king Saul has pursued him. You see what happened? David was anointed king while just a simple shepherd boy on the backside of the desert. God reached out to him, called him to himself, anointed him king, but then he continued to be a shepherd Nothing changed as far as David could notice. And one day he is asked to take lunch into his brothers who are in a valley facing a giant. You know the story. His name is Goliath. Goliath the giant uh, is uh, intimidating the entire Israeli army. And David steps up and God gives him this boldness and he takes a few stones and a sling and he hurls that sling and hurls that stone into Goliath's forehead and he comes crashing down. And when Goliath comes crashing down, a new song erupts all over Israel. The song went like this, Saul has slain his thousands David his ten thousands. Saul became fiercely jealous of David, began to hunt him down and pursue him and seek to destroy David's life. And it is on one of those occasions that David finds himself in a cave running for his life, hiding for his life. That's the occasion of Psalm 57. And it is in this cave that David writes this song, this psalm. Honestly, I don't think that I've ever been in that kind of situation. People who have fought in 
the military, people who have been in harm's way, perhaps in their work have. I do remember this. I know it's hard for us to imagine life without cell phones, but it used to exist. Uh, Used to, we didn't carry things around with us. Uh, We got to a place and people knew we were there because we showed up. That was it. Um, That's how life used to be. And so when I was in college one night, I was driving back late down 221, no cell phone. My Plymouth Horizon 1979 four-door hatchback, two-tone gray, beautiful piece of machinery. We're headed down 221. It's one in the morning when, or I was alone, when my car just quit. It quit. And so what do you do at 1 in the morning on 221 when your car quits? Well, you find something called a payphone. All right, so for you guys up front, it's a phone in a box about this high, and uh, you put quarters in it. And people always carried quarters back in the day just in case you needed one. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. I walk through total darkness on 221, see across the way a little service station I go to it, put my quarters in, call my dad to tell him my car is broken down. And while I I hang up with him, I call some friends uh, at college to let them know that uh, I'll be later than obviously I was expecting or won't get there. I'll come the next day when this car pulls up. And it's full of, I guess, just good old boys. And they see me in the phone booth. And they're drinking, they're doing whatever it is they're doing, and they begin to yell at me, to curse. And here I am in a phone booth, so I thought it's wise to keep the person on from Spartanburg. So I said, listen, this is where I am. I'm not hanging up. I've got these guys, they're yelling at me. Then one of them grabs, I guess, a beer bottle and just launches it at the phone booth I'm in. I was terrified, no doubt. Several guys, it's 1 a.m. I have no access to anyone except the person who's on the other end. Finally, they tired of me and they drove off. And then I had to walk about a half mile in the dark back to my car. That's how we used to live, right? If parents let you do that today, I think DSS would be called. It's crazy, but we used to live on the rugged edge. So uh, I was terrified. That's honestly about it. I've not lived that kind of life dominated by fear. David was. This was real. Uh, This is not just anybody hunting him down. Saul has an army. Saul has everything necessary to end David's life. When you're in the cave... Uh, Two responses we're going to discover today. Number one, cry out to God for mercy. Cry out to God for mercy. This is how David opens up Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. He says it twice. Uh, Why? Because he really needs the mercy of God That word means show pity. It's okay and necessary 
to ask God for mercy. Why? He says, storms of destruction are around me. Till the storms of destruction pass by. That phrase means engulfing ruin. Maybe it's fitting that we hear the rain just kind of uh, pounce down on this building this morning. If you've ever been in the storm of your life, it seems like this sound never ends, does it? The rains come, the, the storms pounce, the news comes again and again and again and again of this bad thing and that bad thing and this bad thing, and it seems everywhere you turn, you're surrounded. How does David understand his predicament? He says, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. I just want to ask you to picture that this morning. The lions, that's easy to picture. But allow your imagination to picture Saul, the king, with spears as teeth and arrows as other teeth and tongue as swords. That's how David sees his enemy. I don't know if you remember the very first sermon in this series on worry, but I said in that sermon, based on God's word, you must face problems honestly. If you are going to cry out to God, you have to be honest. You cannot cry out to him for mercy unless you admit you need mercy. Your problem you have to own. You can't pretend that everything <clears throat> is okay. So this raises the question, and it's a valid one, that I've been asked on more than one occasion. Here it is. Why tell God what he already knows? Have you ever thought about that? Why tell God what he already knows? God knows David's enemies. God knows Saul's hardened heart. Why do that? God knows where you are. God knows the pain you feel. He knows the hurt that uh, uh, dominates your life right now. Why tell him? Here it is. Praying in crisis does not inform God. It forms us. Praying in crisis does not inform God. It forms us. When we tell God what he already knows, we remind ourselves of what we easily forget, don't we? When you tell God whatever he already knows, you are hearing yourself pray to him. You are reminding yourself of what you and I as earthlings tend to easily forget. Notice where David's cry of desperation leads to the character of God. He says this, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. All right, this is huge. 
If David says he's going to take refuge in the shadow of God's wings, what does that make God in his mind? A mother bird. Yeah. Do you know, I did a funeral this week, and I said this in the funeral, speaking of Psalm 23, God is gracious to allow us to speak of him in such familiar ways. Don't know if you've ever thought about that. God is gracious to allow us to speak of him in such familiar ways. I think where we see this evidence, have you ever seen a reserved man become a grandfather? Have you ever seen that? I love it. Uh, A man who is otherwise reserved, a man who is otherwise to himself, perhaps not emotionally expressive, when he becomes a grandfather, learns a whole new language, doesn't he? Yeah, it's hilarious. He begins to speak to his grandson or his granddaughter in words that are not intelligible to either one of them, right? It's a whole new language, and here's a guy who is articulate. He may be an accomplished businessman. He, He may have it all together in so many areas of his life, and all of a sudden, this one little kid... And, and he loses all that. And you look at him and go, look, he's giddy over this grandchild. In much the same way, God condescends and gives us entrance into him. Zephaniah 3 says, he sings over us. He's giddy over you. And David is quite at home with calling him a mother bird under whose wings he takes refuge. Now, in order to approach a God who condescends to allow us to speak of him in that way, you got to humble yourself. Because if God is a mother bird, what does that make David? A baby one. Yeah, a baby bird. Wow. What does Jesus think of this? Matthew 18, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn, big word, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humble yourself like a child. Well, how does that work? When babies get hungry, what do they do? What do they do? They cry. Cry out to God. Notice how he addresses him, God most high. To God most high. If you look at verse two in your Bibles, God most and high are all capitalized. Why is that? This is one of the many names in the Old Testament for God. So it is a proper noun, all of it, all three put together. God most high. Well, where did it show up? Genesis 14, Abraham is having to fight battles. It's this little known, little studied 
area of Abraham's life where he literally had to duke it out with enemies and had his own little army comprised of his family and, and, and shepherds, etc. And he had to fight battles and he had a particularly difficult one and, and God showed up and Abraham referred to him as God Most High. Do you know what Abraham did after that encounter with God Most High? Like the very next thing he did was to tithe. It was interesting. It was like, I have to give him something, right? I have to give this God something. This is who he is. When David cries out to God, he is reminded of God Most High. He would have known Abraham's story. He would have known that God displays himself in ultimate power. And so what does he say? This is what he says about God will do. He fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. I love this. He fulfills. He will. He will. He will. And the last God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. David is reminded of who God is in the midst of what is unraveling in his life. This is so incredibly important this morning. If you lose sight of who God is, your circumstances may be small, but they'll still upset you. Or they may be huge and they'll devastate you. There's an old story of a kid who was waiting on a bus. This gentleman, being very kind to him, walked up to the kid and said, Listen, son, the bus doesn't stop here. If you want to catch the bus, you'll need to go down to that corner. There's the sign that says bus stop. The kid respectfully said, It's okay. I'll wait here. And the man walked on. And all of a sudden, the man heard a noise. It was the sound of brakes coming to a stop. He turned around to see the bus stopping right where the boy stood. And he thought, what? And the boy leaned out of the bus and said, hey, my dad is the bus driver. That's this. When you know the bus driver, you know where the bus stops, amen? When you know God, you know how he's going to show up. You know what he's going to do. You know his character. You know the way he works. You know his plans. And David is reminded that he is El Elyon, God most high. And he showed up to fight Abraham's battles when he was surrounded by the enemy. And if God will do it for Abraham, perhaps the same God will do it for David. David. Amen? And so that is exactly what happens. David is absolutely enthralled with, thrilled with a God, and it leads him to go to an exclamation point in the psalm. This refrain is repeated twice. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. God, you be exalted. So I say to you this morning, if you're in the cave, before you can sing in the cave, cry out to God. 
Be honest. Be real. Don't feel like you need fancy words and platitudes and these and thous and all of these kinds of things we tend to dress up religion with. No, no, we're a baby bird tucked under the wings of, uh, of our father. We, we are a child crying out to daddy. We are crying out to him. And there are those moments in life where words perhaps don't even come. And when they do not, he understands your cry. Amen? He does. He knows your cry. He hears your words. He bottles, the psalmist says, your tears. Wow. Number two, sing out to God in praise. Notice what's happened. By the time we get to verse 7, in verse 1, all the way through, David describes vividly the enemy and the awfulness of everything. By the time we get to verse 7, he's calm. Look at verse 7. Don't miss this. My heart is what? Steadfast. My, my heart isn't like this. I'm not up and down anymore. I, I'm not an emotional wreck. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. Uh, let me read through verse 9. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Do you know in those three verses there are five exclamation points? All right. So, students, a few of you here this morning, when you text and you put an exclamation point, what does that mean? What's that? You're excited. Absolutely. You're excited. Well, that's what it means here too. That's what it means. How is it? Well, has Saul been hunted down? No. Is, is Saul still out in the woods somewhere lurking? Yeah. Is the enemy still the enemy? Yeah. Is David still in the cave? Has, has the diagnosis changed? No. No. Did they call and say, you get your job back? No. Did money all of a sudden show up in the bank account from nowhere? No. No. Did your loved one come, come back to you? No. No. There are five exclamation points. There are four I wills. That's big. If you're going to sing in the cave, you will have to will what you do not feel. If you're going to sing in the cave, you will have to will what you do not feel. I will is an affirmative statement of action. 
Counselors call what David is doing self-talk. We talk to ourselves constantly. I quote from Psychology Today where they say, are you aware of your inner voice, the one that provides a running monologue, cheerful and supportive or negative and self-defeating, this internal chatter is referred to as self-talk. Your self-talk combines your conscious thoughts with your unconscious beliefs and biases. All of us have it. Your conscious thoughts with your unconscious beliefs and biases. Put those together and this is the voice that you hear. All of us, all the time, have it. It's an effective way, psychology today says, for your brain to interpret and process your daily experience. However, human nature is prone to negative self-talk, making sweeping assertions like, I can't do anything right, or I'm a complete failure. We know this negativity can be unrealistic or even harmful, but we do it anyway. They go on to say, the good news is that you can learn to challenge that negative self-talk, and the first step is becoming more aware of it. So I want to say something to you this morning. Your self-talk must be saturated with God talk. That's the point. That's what David has done for six verses. He's been real about his problem and real about his God. His problem has led him to see God for who he is as God most high. And if God talk does not insert somewhere in self-talk, you will continually be on the roller coaster, the emotional roller coaster. It's amazing. You will have to will at times what you do not feel. I've shared this before, but a few years ago, I went through a pretty tough time of depression. It seemed to come out of nowhere. Though I I looked back on it and and I see some predictors and triggers and those kinds of things. But I remember during that time, I'd go to bed and I'd wake up. And if you've ever been depressed, when you wake up for a moment, everything seems good. Like it's that moment before you're perhaps fully in reality and in between the the consciousness that you have while sleeping and the consciousness you have while awake. And so in that little window of time, things seem so good. And then all of a sudden, it would hit me. And it was just like weight that hit me. I'll tell you what I did during that time. I I think there were very few mornings where I did not get up and go downstairs like I normally do and grab God's word and say, God, I don't get where I am. I don't get why I'm going through why I'm going through. But you're unchanged. You're God. You are the same This is what David says. Notice this. He says, awake. He uses the word three times. There there are no accidental words in scripture. Look at this. Awake. Awake my glory or my whole being, some translations say. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the what? The dawn. You say, Jerry, what do you mean? I'm convinced that the early morning 
battle is most critical. I'm convinced as I read through scripture that if you're in the valley, if you're in a tough time, battling in the morning prepares you for the day. That, that waiting until night to do battle is, is like tuning your instrument after the concert is over. If you're going to play in the orchestra all day, tune the violin first thing. <clears throat> I just don't think there is any substitute for morning time with God. Regardless of your schedule, your busyness, the, the, the frantic nature of your life. We all have schedules. We all have difficulties. We all have challenges. I'm just saying to you, I, I've discovered in my walk with the Lord, no substitute for this at all. No substitute for early mornings with him. And I've discovered that in the darkest of times, He has been my mainstay early before the lights come on in town. And I'm sitting there by the lamplight, uh, digging into his word and praying through. Let me give you some corroborating evidence, I think. Psalm 92, 1 through 2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the what? In the morning, in your faithfulness by night. Do you, do you notice that? Don't miss the nuance. In the morning, it's his character. At night, it's what he's done in the daytime. His faithfulness. In the morning, it's, God, you love me. And at night, God, today I, I realized how you love me. This is what you did all day. Do you get that? What a rhythm, Right? How about Lamentations 3, 22 and 23? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every what, class? Morning. Wow. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning of your life, God deposits into the bank account of your life all the mercies you need. All of them. For that day. Don't wait until night to try to draw them out. You needed them. All day long. How about Psalm 5.3? Oh Lord, in the what? You hear my voice in the morning. I prepare a sacrifice for you and what? Watch. I wait. God, I show up and I'm with you in the morning and I wait for you. Uh, Psalm 59.16, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the what? In the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Isaiah 54, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me when? Morning by morning. Wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. To get that picture, God waking you up every morning saying, I have words for you today. Don't miss that. I have something for you today. I know what's going to happen at 9A and at noon and at 2P and at 5P. I know. And I've got something for you today. And I'm going to whisper it into your ears. 
If you will get along with me, if you will uh, find a time to to come away and, and get along with me, I will speak into your ears things that you need to hear. I'll instruct you. And what happens when he does that? He gives you words to sustain the weary. You get to school, you get to work, and people look at you and they go, how is it that she is calm every day? Where does she get it? And when a problem comes up, who do they go to? You. Why? They want whatever it is you have. Psalm 57, back to ours, verse 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. This is a bold declaration of a young man who's in a cave hiding, fearing for his life. Do you know what he says? God, I'm going to sing to nations. That's what it says. I will sing praises to you among the nations. What? Who are you? Some little prima donna shepherd boy stuck in a cave somewhere with a king coming after you and you assume that you're going to sing praises to him among the nations? No, 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 no. Somehow hiding in that cave, it must have occurred to David that God would would not anoint him king and let him die in a cave. Something must click. That God is at work in some way to redeem him, rescue him from this. David sings not because of his circumstances, but in spite of them. I've seen this time and time again in funeral services. Families heartbroken. Singing praise to God. Not because their loved one died. No. But because their God didn't. Our praise team is coming now. I want to ask you this morning to sing in the cave. David ends with this refrain, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So here's what I want us to do. Our numbers are obviously lower this morning. I want us to move and be together. So if you're in the back, kind of behind Mike's bath or uh, Eugene and Gina, anybody, would you move up this way? Let's stand And would you move? And we're going to worship the Lord with song after song after song. As one family of faith. And then while we're singing, Adrian's right down here and I'm here as well. Lynn's over here. If you need prayer, we're here. Just come. Just just grab her elbow. And and we'll, we'll be thrilled to pray with you 
Let's worship him this morning.